0: During this interim period, we want to focus on two things, the presence of God and the purpose of God. For it's when we dwell in his presence, when we really dwell in his presence, when we spend time in his word, when we turn our attention to him, when we spend time on our knees in prayer, that we begin to grasp his purpose for us in this life. What a great interim statement, really. As we seek God's direction for us as a church, as we move forward, we need to dwell in his presence. We need to be a people who seek his face, who spend time praying for our board and for our district superintendent through this interim period. and Praying for your staff, that the Lord would enable us and empower us to continue the work that God has for us. He's been blessing us in these days, hasn't he? They've been good days, and we are grateful. We're grateful for for each of you. I have a video clip that I want you to watch at this time.
1: For my dissertation, I was assigned to USS Kelvin, something I admired about your dad. He didn't believe in no-win scenarios. Sure learned his lesson. Well, it depends on how you define winning. You're here, aren't you? Thanks. You know, that instinct to leap without looking, that was his nature, too. And in my opinion, some Starfleet's lost. Why are you talking to me, man? Because I looked up your file while you were drooling on the floor. Your aptitude tests are off the charts, so what is it? You like being the only genius-level repeat offender in the Midwest? Maybe I love it. So your dad dies, you can settle for a less than ordinary life. Or do you feel like you were meant for something better? Something special? Enlist in Starfleet. Enlist? (laughs) You guys must be way down in your recruiting quota for the month. if you're half the man your father was, Jim, Starfleet could use you. You can be an officer in four years. You can have your own ship in eight. You understand what the Federation is, don't you? It's important. It's a peacekeeping and humanitarian armada. We done? I'm done. Riverside Shipyard. Shuttle for new recruits. Leaves tomorrow, 0800. Your father was captain of a starship for 12 minutes. He saved 800 lives, including your mother's and yours. I dare you to do better.
0: This is Hollywood's attempt to appeal to one of our basic needs for our lives to count for something. You see, we all search for significance. There was a young man who was going nowhere quickly and on a dare. I dare you to make a difference. And the movie appeals to us because all of us have this desire for our lives to account for something. Where am I going? What does my look like? What life look like? And how am I going to get there? What is my purpose in life? We have this desire to search for significance. Nobody ever goes into life desiring mediocrity. Nobody desires a mediocre marriage or a just pay the bill kind of a job. No, with every single beat of our heart, we desire so much more. We desire that our life will make a difference, that we will have an impact on our world, we, that our life has significance. So we say things like, someday I'm going to be financially fit so that I can live a life of generosity. Someday I'm going to be physically fit. Someday I want my life to account for something great. You see, every opportunity has an expiration date. And the cost of missing out is greater than the cost of messing up. The opportunity of a lifetime has to be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. Our scripture today is found in Matthew chapter 16. We'll be reading verses 24, 25, 26. Did you bring your Bibles with you today? Let me see your Bibles. Let's hold them up real high. Great. Bibles everywhere. That's wonderful. How many of you have brought an electronic version today? All right. I see those electronic versions. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for me will find it. This first verse here in 24 says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's the three points of the message. Deny, take up his cross, and follow. Then it goes on to say, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. It's a paradox. In order to find our life, we must... First lose it. Then it goes on, What good will it be for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man exchange in exchange or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, each and every one of us in the room, we desire that our life counts for something. We want more. We, we want significance in our lives. We, we ponder the great questions of life. Why am I here? What is my purpose? And how am I going to get there? You know, there are a lot of tools that we have in life. Uh, I had two jobs in college. And, of course, you're aware of this because you've heard me give illustrations plenty of times over the years. Um, but those two jobs in college, were, were I was a lifeguard at a pool. And there were tools for that job. Of course, you had to have a whistle. And, of course, this was a way that you could discipline the children that were running. Blow your whistle. Ah! Stop running. And it was really a lot of fun. I enjoyed the job. Of course, you needed a Speedo, and I chose the bigger trunk version of a Speedo. And you needed a a towel, a nice, large beach towel. At the time, I had this really large, red beach towel. After all, my name is Rex. Rex means king, and why not a red towel? (laughs) So those were some tools, basic tools of of being a lifeguard. When I started as a lifeguard, um, minimum wage was two dollars an hour, and when I finished uh, my fourth year, I was the manager of the pool, and I made three sixty-six an hour, and I was paid on salary, which means I was paid for forty hours a week, whether it rained or shined. It was a great job. I felt like, man, I'm making great money at three sixty-six an hour. No benefits had 27 employees that worked for me. It was a great time of life. But some of the basic tools were a swimsuit, a whistle, and a few other things. Well, the other job I had uh, during college was teaching skiing. And I started out uh, my freshman year. I was actually a lift operator at the ski lodge. And it was a pretty good job. And I became the, one of the ski instructors. And I did that for four years. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about it in the rest of the sermon. But I got paid uh, for every time I taught a class. And, of course, minimum wage was $2 an hour. And every time I taught a class, I got paid 8 bucks. Pretty good deal. Now, you may only teach one a day. Sometimes you would teach three or four, maybe even five a day. So if you taught enough classes, it was a pretty decent income. And it was my way of paying for college at the time. And then Debbie and I got married, and, and I finished my last semester at... Uh, Southern Nazarene University. I attended Mount Vernon Nazarene for four years, and I took my fifth, my fourth, my four and a half years, my last semester at Southern Nazarene University. When I graduated, I worked construction for a year for a guy by the name of Tom Yarborough. And here's the actual tool belt that I bought at the time, and I've kept it all these years. It's, it's more than just a memento. I use it from time to time on work projects and mission trips and that type of thing. And another tool that that was a requirement of the job was a large S-Queen 20-ounce framing hammer. And it came in handy for building um, the frames and tearing apart frames. We built tilt-up buildings, so we would actually pour the concrete on the floor, and then we would build walls up, and then we'd pour walls on the floor and then tilt them up with great cranes. And it was a great, great job. I I started out making... uh, $3.50 350 an hour. Of course, minimum wage again was just about two dollars an hour. And so 350 was really pretty decent as a starting wage at that time. And by the end of the year that I worked construction, I was making $850 an hour. Debbie and I were newlyweds. We had no debt. We had no furniture, uh, <laughs> no belongings to speak of. And 850 an hour was a pretty good deal. plus I got a truck. I had a three quarter ton truck to drive and, and a gas cart on top of that. And then, of course, then I started in the ministry, and I came to Lake Avenue, and I went from making $8.50 an hour to a little less than $5 an hour, uh, but I had a parsonage, and we lived there at the Lake Avenue church, and, and, of course, the main tool of the trade was my Bible, and this is my favorite Bible. It's a Bible that's really too beaten up to really use on a daily basis or to preach from because, well, the pages fall out and... And it's just, but I love this Bible because it's got all this stains from just use. My, my hands are very oily and, and it's just saturated with the oil from my hands from using this Bible. Well, one of the problems in, that pastors often have in using this tool is we, we prepare with others in mind. And so we often read the Bible like this. How does this apply to what I'm preparing for? How does this apply to what I'm teaching? How does this apply to what I'm going to preach the next day? And if we're not careful, just like any of these great tools, these things can become an idol unto themselves. You you see, even the Word of God and serving in the kingdom can take us away from that which is most important. A right relationship with him. We talked about that last week in our sermon, Seek First the Kingdom of God and His Righteousness. And as pastors, we have to remember to put him first in our lives. I had a pastor friend of mine who, who burned the candle at both ends and ended up losing his family. And the Scripture deals with that for us. It says in verse 26, What good will it be if a man gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul. You see, there are a lot of things we can focus our lives on. We can focus on working hard and climbing the ladder of success. We can focus on making a lot of money and having a lot of things to enjoy and to live comfortable lives. We can focus on being great athletes or being the best athlete that we can be. We can focus on being an A student or, or a great mom to your children. There's a lot of good things in life that we can focus on. And all these things are good except for when they become more important to us than God. Is God first? See, the Scripture here gives us three, three key principles for discipleship. It says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. When I was teaching skiing, I really loved it. I would go at 10 in the morning when they opened and I would stay until 10 o'clock at night. Some days I would teach three lessons a day. Uh, some days it would only be one. Others it might be five. If I taught a regular group lesson, it was $8 per lesson. If I taught a private, it was $12 a lesson. If it was a, uh, like two people in a private, it was $16 just during a time that minimum wage was $2 an hour. I loved the job. I loved the job. I loved the opportunity. I got a ski. I, I was a true ski bum. I, mean, I, I lived at the ski, ski area. I ate there. I had lunch there. I had dinner there. We would eat oatmeal before we'd leave in the morning, and we'd have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for lunch. And, and we were we were bums, ski bums. And the Lord really began to talk to me about Rex. Do you love skiing more than you love me? And really began to convict me over this. And it was at that time that um, I went home. I was at the place where I was going to put down the skis, and and um, the Lord had provided this opportunity. Our college at mount vernon nazarene college had these mini course mods where you would actually be off from from christmas break and then you wouldn't return until well you would return at, after christmas break for a mini course mod which was january through mid-february and it was a six seven week class and well i would take directed studies during those times so that i could teach skiing and the lord provided this opportunity for me but i was really wrestling with this lord are you is this more important to me than you? And I come, came to that place where I was ready to put down the skis. And I went home and went to a worship service, and our pastor, Howard Ricky preached a message. And, and the, the message was about blooming where you're planted. And it's this whole idea that the opportunity of a lifetime has to be seized in a lifetime. Of the opportunity. And that day the Lord said. No I want you to go back. And I want you to enjoy the experience. I want you to enjoy the opportunity. And I want you to use this opportunity. To be salt and light. To take the ordinary. And live an extraordinary life. With those that you ski with. My best friend was a youth studying for the youth ministry as well, and, and his name was Billy Murray. And Billy and I, we were the life of the party at the ski lodge. They they would encourage us to go to the bars and to drink with the customers and and you know teach them and then go up and have fun and you know develop relationships. Well, we didn't want anything to do with that. We were Christians, and we were called to be salt and light. But we had opportunities every day. I'd yell out, "Single," and I was. <laughs> And, uh, and wasn't just, it wasn't just a pickup line. It was an opportunity to get up in front of the line and you know get with somebody and uh, ride up on the lift. And every time you get up, you'd start having these conversations. They'd go something like this. So where are you from? Oh, where are you from? Well, I'm from Zeno, Ohio. Well, what brings you up here? Well, I'm going to college. Well, where are you going to college? Mount Vernon Nazarene College. Well, what are you studying? Well, I'm studying for the ministry. Oh, really? And then we get back on and... And throughout the day, I'd have opportunities to share my faith. And God gave me opportunities, one after another, to develop some skills that I probably wouldn't have had otherwise. By my fourth year of school, by my fourth year of college, I became the ski school coordinator. The, the guy that was in charge of the ski school was given the job as the, uh, as the manager of the ski lodge, the ski area. And he asked me if I would take his job, the ski school coordinator. And so I had 80 instructors that worked for me, and we had 800 students that would come through the classes every day, and I would meet them in the mornings when the students would come in and hand them out the classes and in the evenings and do the same and take care of the payrolls and all that kind of stuff. It was a great opportunity for me. The Scripture says he must deny himself. To the disciples who argued about which one of them would be greatest, Jesus reminded them that he who is least among you is the greatest. You see, the teachings of Jesus go against the cravings of our broken humanity. His way is a path of servanthood, and not a test to see if we deserve better. Servanthood is a way of life. In our push when we push ourselves to the top, we are pushing ourselves away from the presence of God. Think about that. Are you listening? When we push ourselves to the top, when we seek our own instead of denying ourselves, we are pushing ourselves away from the presence of God. When we move ourselves into the place of servanthood, we join God in his eternal purpose. Think about that. The scripture says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. The second part of it says he must take up his cross. You see, the Christian life is one of sacrificial service, of, of giving ourself, our time, our talents, and our resources to the Lord. In John 13, Jesus is our example. And taking a tool, a very unlikely tool, he illustrates his love to mankind. He doesn't reach for a power tool. And brag. Ah, 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 ah. No, he reaches for an unlikely tool. A very unlikely tool for a king. After all, he's the king of kings and the lord of lords. He's the creator of the universe. And in John thirteen, John Jesus wraps a towel around his waist and he kneels before his disciples. And he washes their feet he puts on the tool of a servant and he models for us what it means to deny oneself and to take up one's cross and to daily follow him on this journey of servanthood you will discover that humility leads to integrity and integrity leads to courage You see, when we get to that place where we can say, it's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me, to that place of humility, it leads to integrity. When we get to that place where we can say, it's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me, that integrity leads to courage. Because it's not I, but Christ who lives in me. So we must die to self, and we must take up our cross, daily, and follow Him. You see, when we die to self and take up His cross, God takes the ordinary things of life and produces that which is extraordinary. For instance, say you receive a negative report from the doctor. Very ordinary. For the Scripture tells us that it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. Just because we're Christians does not mean that we are exempt from the pains and the realities of this life. And if you receive a a negative report from the doctor, it's quite ordinary, really. But when you trust him, when your hope is in him, when you put your faith in him and you see the big picture, that which is eternal And not that which is temporal. You say to your close friends and your family members that Christ is sufficient. And you teach them what a godly response looks like. And God takes that which is ordinary and creates the extraordinary. God may call you to serve as an unsung youth leader. Maybe to 15 teenagers who are in a moldy basement and and you really don't have enough equipment or curriculum to to do the job well. And yet you're blooming where you've been planted. You're seizing the divine moment that God has provided you for that moment and that time in life. And you take that which is really quite ordinary and God produces that which is extraordinary. Extraordinary. He may use you to make a difference in, in a young person's life who may go places and speak to people that you could never speak to and places you could never go. It may be that as you serve at hands on homework and you work with a young person that is struggling with their homework and you, you spend time and you invest in their lives doing something which is really quite ordinary. Who knows? The extraordinary results that God will produce because of your service to the king. God may lead you to stay at home with with your young children, forfeiting a, a second income. Really quite ordinary. Somewhat common. But along with the diapers, dishes, and naps, you receive the gift to model a lifestyle. And instill Christian values in your children. Quite ordinary and yet god can use it for the extraordinary it may be that you see a little yellow insert in, in the bulletin and then you say you know what i'd like to be a part of miles for haiti i'd like to make a pledge of or give 25 dollars for 100 miles for a student that's going to haiti a small investment on your part really quite ordinary but who knows how God might use that which is ordinary to produce extraordinary results for the kingdom of God. God may have placed you in a line of work that seems to have no real eternal value. And provide very little personal fulfillment for you personally. Quite ordinary, really. Many who work jobs feel like, "What? you know, why am I here? What? I don't see the purpose. But God knows. He may know that you're the only Christian in that workplace and in that environment who can be salt and light in your world, to your co-workers and your clients. And as they observe what God looks like as you labor with excellence and integrity every day, God creates the extraordinary. As you say yes, are you willing to deny yourself, to take up his cross. You see, in salvation we find freedom from sin. In servanthood we discover the freedom to be all that God has created us to be. Each and every one of us has a unique contribution to make to the tapestry of humanity. As we take up our cross and daily follow Him. As we take up our responsibilities and daily Follow Him. As we take up our opportunities and daily, follow Him. As we take up our trials and life and daily, follow Him. And that's the third point. Follow Jesus. When we were children, we, we loved to play the game follow the leader. How many of you played the game follow the leader as a child? Some of you were a little underprivileged. <laughs> I love that game. I played with my cousins. We'd go over top of picnic tables, through the barns, up on top of the bay, hay mounds, and back down. And I mean, it was just a wonderful time of life playing follow the leader. The Christian life is about following the patterns of Christ, following the principles of His Word, listening to the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. It's following jesus you see it's not enough just to simply be a fan of jesus we must be a follower of him last summer my family uh we went uh, a year ago this past may we went to Lido beach florida actually we uh, rented a, a house on siesta key for patrick and tyler and the grandkids and and ryan joined us and my my mom and my brother and my brother's son they stayed on a And a condo there on Lido Beach and we would just kind of join together there at the beach. It was was a fun time and we were swimming and body surfing and doing all the typical things and I was enjoying that but I noticed that uh, Aubrey was there she was playing and and I thought you know she has never seen a sand dollar and so I thought I'll swim out to uh, one of the uh, sandbars and I know just on the other side of the sandbar there's typically a you know, sand dollars just right there on the other side of the sandbar, and I'll swim out and get her one of those. And so I swam out, and, and in doing so, I'd unconsciously drifted from where I wanted to be. I, I hadn't even occurred to me, but I, I came up from the water, and I looked around, and I noticed the tents were gone. And then I looked at the shoreline, and I realized the tents had not moved. I had moved. And that's what happens when we don't have... A focus in life. That's what happens to us when we do not focus on anything in life. We drift wherever the current of life takes us. And at some point, we look up from life and realize that we're not anywhere close to where we intended to be. That's why the scripture tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You see, I'm afraid, I'm afraid that far too often we are simply fans of Jesus. We come to church on Sunday morning, we get goosebumps, we feel good about ourselves. But our Monday through Saturday looks very, is there any difference? Are you a follower of Jesus on Sunday or are you a follower of Jesus on him, of him all week long? You see, a fan can have goosebumps, but a follower lives an obedient, consistent life. Sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit in their life, Sensitive to God's direction through His Word. We cannot do this in our own strength. But God calls us. Look at the Scripture again. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. We're going to take communion. And I'm going to ask Jacob if he'll come and he's going to lead us in a song. We're going to do two things during communion. It could be that you're at that place in your life where, Lord, I just need to go to the altar for some reason, I, I've taken my eyes off of you, and I've drifted away from that purpose of God in my life. It's okay. We'll serve you communion down here. But if you just want a time to pray, we'll open the altars to that. But we're going to sing a song, and if you just want to spend some time with the Lord, uh, you're welcome to do that. You see, it's easy for us to take our eyes off Jesus. It's easy for us to get so busy with the things of time that we forget about the things of eternity. It's so easy for us to be so wrapped up in our family and our jobs and in our careers that God gets misplaced. And some days, like today, we just need to refocus at the beginning of a new year and say, Lord, I want you to be first. And I want to be that person who Denies himself, takes up his cross daily, not just one day a week, but daily, and follows you. Maybe you just want to recommit yourself to that today. The altar's open. I'm going to ask our servers to come, and we're going to sing some songs. And it'll just be a wonderful time of worship. You can recommit yourself to daily following him. Right here at this altar, or you can recommit yourself to daily following him as you take this cup together. The scripture says, we are reminded that in the same night that the Lord was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after the supper, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, this is the cup is the new covenant of my blood which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. This is the Lord's table. All who are believers in Christ are welcome to take of the communion today. Are you a follower of Jesus? I encourage you to follow him daily. To take up your cross daily and follow him. Let's sing together.